Help support your local businesses, whether they're your corner stores, coffee spots, or favorite shops. Local businesses have always been on your team, supporting you and your community. They remember your order and call you by name, always giving back, making a difference, and going that extra mile. But right now, more than ever, local businesses need our support. So let's be there for them. The next time you go shopping, help your team score and choose to shop at local businesses. And while you're there, look for the contactless symbol and tap to pay with a Visa contactless card to help support your community. Because where and how you shop matters. Visa, everywhere you want to be. Official partner of the NFL. You're listening to Here's the Catch with David Lombardi, Matt Barrows, and Dennis Brown on the Athletic Podcast Network. Carnage. Carnage on the spongy, sticky MetLife Stadium field. That's what happened for the San Francisco 49ers. They win the game as expected against a very bad New York Jets team, 31-13. to So the 49ers are now 1-1, one and one, but... We are here for the big picture, and the big picture says that the 49ers have likely lost Nick Bosa for the entire season due to a feared ACL tear. They might have lost Solomon Thomas for the whole season, also due to an ACL tear, although they're not quite as sure on that one. Jimmy Garoppolo got hurt, and he's probably not even the, the headlighting item here since Nick Bosa got hurt a little bit before him, but Jimmy Garoppolo suffered a high ankle sprain. He might miss some time which is obviously huge. Raheem Mostert hurt his knee, although that one wasn't as serious, but he'll also probably miss some time. And Tevin Coleman also exited the game. So, I mean, just a huge body count of injuries. This is a casualty list that the 49ers have coming out of this game, and that's on top of who they were already missing in George Kittle and Richard Sherman, and Debo Samuel, and a whole host of other guys. It was just staggering to see what happened out on that field in New York today. And, you know, when it rains, it pours. If 49ers can't catch a break, guess what? Their very next game is at the same exact stadium. It normally doesn't happen when you're on a road trip, but both the New York Jets and Giants play at MetLife Field. So uh, the 49ers have to go back next week, and they have to find a way to weather the storm, Matt. We're not sure who they're going to have and who they're not going to have, but it's just about survive and advance at this point. It's about flexing depth if you're the 49ers. They did it, but it was against a bad team, and the road is only going to get tougher for this shorthanded team moving forward. Yeah, I thought that the subplot, how the team responded to those injuries, and it was it was good. I mean, you saw some real fight out there. Kerry Hyder just played an outstanding game. I, I, I can't wait to see what his snap count was but seemed like he was out there every play. So, you know, you, you feel a little bit good about this team coming out of that, but it, it's it's the long term that you're worried about. And they were already very light at defensive end. Remember, this team had a lot of depth along the defensive line, but they were mostly all sort of interior lineman types. And even Hyder really can play uh, inside, and so can Eric Armstead. D. Ford didn't play in this game. Nick Bosa got hurt. They're not going to have Ronald Blair until week six. So they have to make some moves there. There's no bones about that. And I think probably their first one will be to elevate Deion Jordan from the practice squad. But after that, then, you know, you're starting to look at, do you sign Ziggy Ansah? I think that's a possibility, probably a strong possibility at this point. They flirted with him a couple of times. I don't know exactly what the issue was, but they haven't pulled the trigger on him. But uh, he's needed. Anybody's needed, certainly on the edge. And, 
You know, another guy we've, we've talked about in the past is DeMontre Moore. And people wonder, why didn't the 49ers sign Moore in, in the summer when they could have? Well, they should have. The Seahawks snapped him up earlier this month. He's now on the Seahawks active roster. So he's not a possibility anymore. And I wonder if that's a miscalculation by this front office because, boy, a guy like DeMontre Moore sure could come in handy right about now. Dennis, what are your thoughts? I mean, what were your observations from this game? Who jumped out to you? Uh, What do you think going forward? Well, I think the challenge is you're on the road. They're staying on the East Coast, but you you have to get with Kyle Shanahan and, and John Lynch and your scouting department and kind of see see what's out there. You, know, you, you talk about Ziggy, and he's a guy that I think has been in the building a couple times, and he hasn't left with, with the contract. And I don't know if it's a money thing or if it's an injury thing, but you got to get help on that defensive line. And I think this is a time when you kind of figure out where D4 fits in your defense. I mean, he's like a Ferrari. When he's out, he's great. But he's got to be tuned up, and he hasn't really been tuned up. So you have to figure out, because the strength of this defense is that front four. I think Eric Armstead elevated his game. You talked about some of the other guys. But, you know, can that take you into another Cardinal game and uh, another Seahawk game, a Rams game? Can you go into those games with that defense line that we saw today? Now, they got lucky, I think, because the Jets are just not very, not a very good football team. You were able to kind of have some of those guys out there to get by. In the secondary, Akello looks like, you know, he's the kind of guy that doesn't, doesn't want to get beat, so everything can, can kind of fall right in front of him. There's a lot of good things in this football game. Nick Mullins comes in the game. He does okay. A rough start. But I think you got to kind of figure out kind of what you're going to do, especially on that defensive front side of the ball. And then you're 3,000 miles away too. So you have to kind of figure that out and whole thing with COVID also. But you got to get some bodies, some more bodies, especially on the defensive line. We'll be back right after this. I think we're actually expanding upon the theme that we set in week one, where obviously the 49ers offense just completely failed the team in week one, left the defense way overexposed. And, you know, we said that the best defense is at least a competent offense that that could shield the defense. Well, I mean, now I think if you're looking big picture, if you don't have Bosa, I really want to zoom out. The 49ers were elite defensively last season, thanks in large part to an overpowering edge rush. You had both Bosa and D Ford coming off the edge. When D Ford wasn't there, you had Ronald Blair. You had Demontre Moore, who we just talked about. Well, this weekend was obviously disastrous for that edge rush because uh, D Ford is unavailable, at least at the moment, with, with some neck issues that we really don't know too much about. And obviously, your best player, one of the best players in the NFL, Nick Bosa, is now on the shelf for you know at least quite a bit of time. We'll see what exactly it is, but it looks like all the preliminary tests at ACL. So you don't have that. What does that mean for your defense as the 49ers? Well, I think if you're looking at this from an overall productivity standpoint, you drop from elite probably to the middle of the pack. I think that the 49ers edge rush has that kind of effect. We, we saw how they surged from 2018 to 2019 from bad to excellent. Well, they're probably better at the other positions now, but you still have to say that they go from what, number two, number one, maybe down to number 12, number 13, somewhere right in the middle of the league. And if that's the case, it means that the offense is going to have to shield the defense in a whole new way, Matt. You know, we talked about the 2016 Falcons 
on the podcast. That Falcons team scored 33.8 points per game, and they went to the Super Bowl with a mediocre defense. It's that mediocre defense that ended up blowing the lead to the Patriots, but they still made it the whole way, and they still had a chance to win it all with a mediocre defense, but they had to be number one in the league, and they had to score those 33, 34 points a game. Niners were at 30 points per game last year, and I think that you know it may be asking too much, but this is the way it's going to have to be. It's going to have to be a 30-plus a points per game effort for this team once Jimmy Garoppolo comes back, and they're going to have to hope that he comes back sooner rather than later because I'm not sure that they can expect that kind of production from Nick Mullins and the backup squad. Yeah, the defensive guys that they lost, uh, Shalom Thomas, Nick Bosa, probably aren't coming back this year. On offense, however, this team should be getting reinforcements. Uh, Garoppolo, we don't know how long he's going to be out. High ankle sprains are, are funny. I can remember talking to Reuben Foster after he suffered one in week one of 2017, and he was adamant that he wasn't going to miss any games. He's going to be fine. And he wasn't even limping. He ended up missing six games. So these are serious injuries. So we don't know what uh, Garoppolo's prognosis is, but I think it's safe to say he's going to miss at least this upcoming week. I can't I can't see them putting him out there back on that uh, MetLife synthetic turf again. But Nick Mullins has shown that he can do it. George Kittle is coming back soon. We saw Mostert just have two dazzling touchdowns in these last two games. He's not going to be out for very long. Jordan Reed has shown something. They're going to get Debo Samuel back in a couple of weeks. What I'm saying is that there are weapons to do what David just described, become the real strength of this team and and average over 33 points a game. I guess the hope is that the defense won't fall quite as far as what the Atlanta 2006 defense was, but um, the offense should do it, uh, should be able to do it. I mean, that would be the hope if you're a 49ers fan at this point, that the offense can prop up this team. And it certainly has the weaponry. It's not all out there now, but it shouldn't be out for very long. I guess that's the uh, the optimist view of this team uh, sitting here in week two. You spoke real briefly of Jordan Reed. He is a Pro Bowl caliber tight end. And I think especially on that first touchdown when he kind of jumped over a defender, stayed in bounds, and then kind of hit the pylon. I mean, he's an athlete, and you need more of that kind of play from him. And the second touchdown, just the soft hands, the ability to kind of pluck the pluck the ball out of the air, going for the score. So I think you're right that you, you've got the weapons. It's got to be team effort now. I mean, the defense has to get off the field. We're going to see what happens with the defense. But there are weapons still on this football team, but they go back to the same stadium. And, and there's been such an uproar about this turf it makes me wonder I mean is there even a possibility that the NFL goes and kind of investigates this and then move the game is that even heard of you know what's crazy is that the night before I was just doing some stadium reminiscing I love checking out you know old stadiums and looking them up on Wikipedia and I saw some YouTube clips of where the 49ers used to play the Jets this was even before your time Dennis you guys played at at the Meadowlands right back in the day but before then they played at Chase Stadium and that was actual natural grass back in the day and and I was like oh wouldn't it be cool if the old Chase Stadium was still there and the 49ers could play the the Jets uh, not knowing what was about to come today I did not realize at the time when I sent that, that that tweet out that I was just kind of you know waxing nostalgic about these old cookie cutter stadiums but boy it sounded to me that the 49ers thought that this was primarily caused this total disaster was primarily caused by this new turf supposedly uh, they replaced the turf over the offseason 
at MetLife Stadium. And they've only broken it in for one game. The Giants played there last week, and the Jets were on the road. So uh, there was no preseason this year. This was the second game on this new turf, which made it extra spongy. And uh, the 49ers players, I think it was Fred Warner, who said that because it was new, uh, this was a situation where it was borderline dangerous. And the 49ers definitely made a big stink about it. Kyle Shanahan talked about it. This, to me, is an unprecedented situation. So maybe, Matt, you've seen some something like this. But what makes this super unusual is that the road team is playing more consecutive games at MetLife Stadium than the home team, right? The Jets go back on the road next week. The 49ers are staying in the same place and playing the New York Giants. So, you know, usually a home team won't gripe about its own facility because that's under their purview. But the 49ers have to play two consecutive road games in the same problematic place, which sets this up for a unique situation. And hey, maybe the 49ers will lobby the league to have this game played elsewhere. I don't know. But you would think that in a season like this, it would be easier to move uh, locations because there are no fans. Yeah, with these new synthetic fields, when they lay them down, it's uh, you know it's full of these rubber shards. I mean, I'm sure everybody has witnessed that either on a playground or on a playing field. These little particles, and and you could see that at times. I think it was on Jarek McKinnon's touchdown in the fourth quarter. He's coming into the pylon, and a, a couple of Jets defenders are trying to get him, and you see those those black rubber shards uh particles kind of sprouting up like a like a rooster tail like a like a speedboat on a lake I mean, it just kind of shows you how much are there i don't know what they can do to mitigate that whether they can rake that or vacuum it up or or do something but eric armstead used the word anxiety they just watched two of their brethren go down probably for the season and they have to go back there so i don't see how you can sort of play carefree and loose and fast like you need to in the NFL, knowing what you know about that field. Dennis, do you ever recall anything like that in your career where there was a real concern? I know the vet used to be a house of horrors as far as its turf, but uh, what were the worst fields when you were playing? You know, you said it. It was where Philadelphia played, the vet. I mean, it was basically just concrete with some carpet some green carpet and lines on the top. There was a big seam that went across the 50-yard lines. I kind of put them together. So I always thought the technology of this new advanced turf was those little rubber pieces that you were talking about. Those were the things that were supposed to keep you from your foot sticking in the turf. And I saw the same thing. It was early in the, in the, in the game, nothing big. I just saw a receiver go down and there was a lot of those things jumping or those, those little rubber shards just kind of jumping off the carpets. But I always thought that was put there so your foot cannot stick and you can be able to slide and it would not get stuck in the turf. But um, they're talking about maybe it was the heat. I would think it's the job of the equipment person to kind of see things like this and say, listen, our shoes, we have to adjust our shoes. We have to get different soles on our shoes that the cliques can't more of a different astral turf surface to turf type of shoe. I can remember playing, even at Candlestick, when it was high tide, we would have to put in the longer cliques because the middle of the field was kind of like, it was just straight mud. If this game is not moved, I think you have to kind of figure out what type of shoe you're going to wear on a turf like this. If it's a turf that's thick and sticky, as Eric Armstead said, you got to get a flatter surface shoe. I think the NFL will definitely have to, I'm sure they have a standard 
Um, I don't know how you test it without having a game going on, but uh, there was one other game before the 49er game, and I can remember there was one, an offensive tackle, Banner, who blew his knee out in that game too. So maybe it is the turf, or maybe it's just the shoes you're wearing. The cleats are too long. Before we move on, we want to tell you to not miss exclusive in-depth coverage of this unprecedented sports season. Subscribe now and save. Sign up now to see for yourself the creativity, reporting, and storytelling that sets The Athletic apart. And if you go to theathletic.com forward slash here's the catch, you can receive an all-access subscription for just $1 a month. Sports are back, and you don't want to miss breaking stories on your favorite teams. So go to theathletic.com forward slash here's the catch to receive an all-access subscription for just $1 a month. We hope to see you there. Well, it's going to be interesting to see if the 49ers go and buy some new equipment en masse this week. Uh, of course, the, after the game, they flew to West Virginia. They're going to be staying at the Greenbrier Resort, really beautiful place out in the country. I know Richard Sherman and George Kittle and all those guys, they watched the game back in the Bay Area at the team facility. And then right after, they headed to the second ch- you know, charter that's heading to the East Coast. And that one's going to meet the, the one that's coming from the game in New Jersey in West Virginia. And the 49ers will try to, to lick their wounds. And maybe they'll deploy equipment staff back out to New York City to go look for some more shoes for this next game. Because I don't know if they're going to find what they need uh, in the middle of nowhere out in the woods and in West Virginia. But the, hopefully they find some, some relaxation and some recovery because... They're really going to need that over the course of this next week. One thing that you know I thought uh, was really interesting that you brought up, Dennis, was how good Jordan Reed was today. Because if the 49ers are going to weather this storm, uh, they're going to have to rely and flex the depth to the point where the guys who are pro bowlers, who you know are emerging stars, who are still healthy, and yes, that still exists, as surprised <laughs> as you might be, they still have guys who, who can play on this team that will suit up next Sunday. Those are the guys that are going to have to come through. And today, it was certainly Jordan Reed. You know, Jimmy Garoppolo played one hell of a first half. He was under siege. The the pass protection just wasn't good for the 49ers today. Garoppolo was getting trounced out there. Still went 14-16, to and his favorite target was Reed. Threw a couple really nice touchdown passes, including that second one, Matt, which Garoppolo just fit into the tightest of windows. And it's exactly what we were talking about all offseason. Jimmy Garoppolo has a certain skill set. That release is so quick, and he can throw darts into short spaces. And Jordan Reed, to me, proved that he's a perfect complement for that skill set. When he grabbed that touchdown, he was blanketed in coverage, but the throw was right where it needed to be, and Reed is as sure-handed as can be in those tight quarters. And that helped uh, build the lead that the 49ers sure weren't going to relinquish. Yeah, it seemed like uh, Garoppolo and Reed had been playing together for 10 years, and he couldn't be farther from... The opposite, Garoppolo uh, targeted him eight times, and Reed caught seven of those passes for 50 yards in in the two touchdowns. And Reed hardly played this summer. He basically was a no-show for for training camp. He got in a little uh, that last week. And I remember there was a uh, closest thing that they had to a scrimmage. They They played one of their practices at Levi Stadium, and it was one of the practices that Kittle was hurt, and obviously there was no Debo. There may not have been a Brandon Ayuk at that point, and so Garoppolo didn't have any weapons, and he started to go to Jordan Reed, and he went back to Jordan Reed a bunch of times. I forget what his stats were in that practice, but uh, it was obvious that they had a quick 
and special rapport, just what you're, what you're saying. And um, it's another example of one guy's skill set really matching the other guys. So this is one of the biggest ironies of this game, I thought, was that the 49ers were basically led by, in a, you know, in a game that was marked by injuries, they were led by Jordan Reed and Jarek McKinnon, two guys who have been known for injuries in the last few years. Neither of those guys played this past season. Trent Williams, too. He had another big game, and uh, they're basically led by guys who are known for their injury issues. You know, as you, both of you guys pointed out, Reed showed why he's a special player. To further that point, once Kittle and Reed are back on the, the field together, I think that's when you're going to really see something that can sort of uh, be be special, turn this offense from a good offense into an elite offense later this season. I think Kyle Shanahan actually said that he was, he kind of wanted him to kind of read to kind of slowly get back into it and uh, build up some confidence. And I think we saw he will be fully confident. I think even Nick Mullins, it, it felt like they had been playing together. He seemed to be a big target, him and um, Trent Taylor I mean, and Kendrick Bourne. I mean, there was another guy. Jarek McKenna. I mean, again, I'm just thinking about all the the weapons on this on this offense. Now, can you execute? You know, Nick Mullins is a guy that's really good. You know, timing, getting the ball out on time. But he he's kind of weak when you want to throw to the perimeter. I mean, he can't. He doesn't have enough oomph on the ball to kind of maybe stretch a defense. You got the weapons. Now you have to execute kind of the game plan. And I I just wonder if Nick Mullins is easy to kind of game plan if you kind of you know play a lot of that zone in the middle with the linebackers and then kind of make him throw to the sideline. So the weapons are there. And I think we saw a lot of really good stuff today. And again, Raheem Moster, he continues to surprise me just because he was an undrafted free agent running down on kickoffs. And here he is now, probably one of the best running backs in the National Football League. Well, that's how the game started. It got off to just an awesome start. 80 yards for Raheem Mostert. You know, we talk about all the bad injury news. Well, good injury news is that the guy that was out in front of that play was Ben Garland, the center. His first snap of the 2020 season was just a beautiful blocking job, sprinting downfield, ankle looked fully healthy, and Mostert so fast. That was the fastest time ever recorded by NFL Next Gen Stats. Fastest speed, I guess I should say. It's 23.1 miles per hour. They've been you know, doing this chip stuff, I think, since 2016. And Raheem Mostert was already near the top of that list last week with the big 76-yard catching touchdown at like 22.7 miles an hour. Well, he was up over... 23 miles an hour. So the 49ers certainly hope that his knee will be okay. They say it's a mild MCL sprain. That's obviously good news when you compare it to something like an ACL that will take a lot longer. George Kittle is also dealing with an MCL. So you breathe a sigh of relief when knee injuries happen and they're not season-ending ACLs at this point for the 49ers. You'd rather dodge that bullet so you can live and fight another day. But Mostert was great. Then he had to leave the game, and I thought Jarek McKinnon uh, was good in his stead. That was a great example of depth, you know, stepping up to help out the 49ers. They run blocked well again. Uh, they didn't pass block well, which is something that just absolutely has to improve. Otherwise, you're going to get your quarterback hurt. That's exactly what happened. Jimmy Garoppolo got hurt when Quinn and Williams pushed uh, Lakin Tomlinson back into him. So there was some to like. There was something not to like. The injuries were obviously heavier on the not to like side. But Matt, I think that even the defense moving forward, it, the book is not completely closed on them. When you look at the way that a guy like Fred Warner played, 10 tackles in the first half, two more in the second, but that 
first half performance when the 49ers were reeling injury-wise when he knew that he had to make some plays to help spare a very depleted defensive line. He had that fourth down stop. I thought Fred Warner was awesome. I thought he really put the defense on his back today and showed us what the 49ers will need to do. They're going to need to get those kind of performances to weather this intense storm that they're in right now. Yeah, it was the the Fred Warner performance that we were expecting. I mean, that's how he looked in training camp. And it's something that the whole defense was missing in week one against the Cardinals. And we've, we've talked about that ad nauseum, just how the Cardinals are a kryptonite to the 49ers on offense and defense. Uh, so this was more like the real 49ers, the real 49ers defense and what they can do. And I agree with you. I thought that fourth down stop, that was the one point where the Jets had even a modicum of a, of a chance of making this a game. And, and he sliced through there, guard whiffed on the block, and he stopped the Jets running back for a loss. And, and that was it. I mean, the, the Jets really didn't have any answers after that. So he played a lot better. Uh, I thought Quan Alexander had a bad first game. He was a lot better. Joukowsky Tart, to me, Tart and, and Warner were the defense's top two guys in training camp. And uh, both of those guys kind of played today like they had throughout that training camp. Back to to Mostert, I thought that Trent Williams' comment after the game was really interesting. He said that Mostert is the closest thing we have right now to Chris Johnson in this league. And Chris Johnson was a, a guy who made one cut and he was gone. I mean, that's how fast he was. I don't know if Mostert is quite that fast, but until Williams said that to me, I, I didn't really kind of visualize what exactly he could become in this league. And I think that's a, a perfect example. Just a guy who's like a slingshot. And again, when we've, we've been hitting this theme. That's what the 49ers are going to need. Now, Mostert's going to be really interesting this week because his wife, Devin, is in the Cleveland area and she's going to have a baby and it's not going to come any later than Thursday. The doctors have said we're going to have this baby on Thursday no matter what, and, and Mostert intends to go back there one way or another, get a COVID test at the Browns facility, and then meet Devin at the hospital and, and have their second child. So he's got an eventful week coming up because uh, he's going to need treatment for his knee. The birth of his second son is coming. I don't know if uh, you can count on him being part of this offense against the Giants when they go back to New Jersey on Sunday. This football season is definitely different, and Pepsi is here to get you ready for game day, no matter how you watch this season. It'll be interesting to see how the 49ers rebound from all their difficult injuries and to see if Jimmy Garoppolo can take this offense to a high-powered level and back to the Super Bowl. Pepsi's the refreshment you need to power through game day and become a member of the League of Football Watchers. Because Pepsi isn't made for those who play the game, it's made for those who watch it. Pepsi, made for football watching. You know, I know they're talking about George Kittle. Maybe he'll be able to play next week. Do you want Raheem Moster and a, and a George Kittle to play on that field? I mean, you know, that's decisions that the coach kind of has to make. But if the field is as bad as they say it is, and the players have now said it, uh, the coaches talked about it, what do you do for next week? I mean, who's the sacrificial lambs next week? You know the field is bad. You've lost whatever it was, three, four guys, two to probably knee injuries or franchise quarterback to an ankle. Who do you put on the field? Someone has to be on the field, but you know what what, what message is that? I mean, if it, do you want a Raheem Moster on the field? Do you want a George Kittle on the field? I think that's going to be the biggest question this week. What, what happens with the 49ers and how they approach this? Because even though you win the game 31 to 13, 
you lost a lot of key players and now you have to go back to the same exact field that you've basically blamed these injuries on. What's the decision? Well, let's put it this way. The New York Giants are, I think, very comparable in how bad of a team they are to, to the Jets. And I think that means that you err on the side of caution if you're the 49ers. I think you can get a win with your depth. If there's one thing that we know that we for sure had verified today, it's that the 49ers have, are deep enough and talented enough throughout this whole roster that they can overwhelm a bad team even with several guys out. Right, I think that you can roll that same dice next week. I really think that they can overwhelm the Giants, who just lost Saquon Barkley today to to a torn ACL. So it's not like you know these injuries are only happening to the 49ers. Uh, the this was like injury Sunday in the NFL. 49ers are not the only team suffering attrition. They might have suffered more of it than any other team today. But there are injury problems around the NFL, and that's important to consider when you look at the trajectories and the matchups moving forward. And I really think the 49ers, they do have the luxury of the depth. They have cultivated it here over the past couple years. It's one of the things that Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch have done so well. That's how they've been able to absorb uh, so many blows that they've taken. And I think that they can ride it to a victory next week. And then you circle the wagons when you get back home in week four against Philadelphia. And that's when guys really can start returning, right? You, you could have Debo Samuel come back in week four. Maybe, you know, Jimmy Garoppolo's ankle sprain isn't as bad as as they initially feared. Maybe he can be back within a couple weeks instead of four. I don't know. Anything could still happen. That's why I'm advocating for the 49ers to take this one week at a time. And I think the formula for next week is just to play it safe because that place did not treat them well. Matt, what would you do next week? Would you, you know, take your foot off the gas and, and let this team's depth flex its muscles again? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know if they're going to have anything but uh, a choice to do that. It is interesting that their next three opponents, the, the Giants, the Eagles, and the Dolphins, are a collective 0-6. So even if the 49ers are, are half-staffed, they should have a, a chance to win those games. Yeah, matching what, what Dennis was saying earlier, matching Nick Mullen's strength to this this offense is going to be... Kyle Shanahan's objective. And it's something that Kyle Shanahan is really, really good at. Uh, we saw that last year when Joe Staley and then Mike McGlinchey and then Juszczyk and then George Kittle were hurt early on. He, he usually has an answer. What we've been talking about, uh, Jordan Reed ought to be a, a really good weapon for, for Nick Mullins, just as he was for Jimmy Garoppolo. And once that, that Kittle and Reed combination are out there. And I agree with you. Do you want to put George Kittle out on that field on Sunday against the Giants? I, I, I don't know. You know, for the next few weeks, at least, that that could be something. And then uh, McKinnon. I mean, uh, he really hasn't, wasn't used a lot as a receiver. That's, uh, that's something that uh, Kyle Shanahan's got in his back pocket as well. So he does have some cards yet to play. And uh, some of those cards do seem to link up well with what Nick Mullins does. So that could be an answer moving forward. And let's not forget, you know, you, you can't fall behind in the standings. I mean, I mean, these all these games are important because in this division, the Seahawks, the Rams played well and the Cardinals played well too. So you have to stay up, you know, in the standings and, you know, you, you can't sacrifice a game. You can't, because if you fall behind, you know, with the teams in this division, I mean, you could really find yourself at the bottom, way at the bottom. So, you know, the 49ers don't have a luxury of just kind of, okay, this is a game we got to play it safe. You got to go out with all guns because because you're in such a tough division. And that's another thing that, uh, you know, needs to be talked about. I mean, we who, who's going to be out there, but we, 
I understand that, you know, the, the Giants aren't a very good football team, but, you know, there is still something to home field advantage. So the 49ers have to take every game uh, week by week and try to get a win. Well, that that's exactly what we'll be doing here, too. We'll be tracking how this moves forward into the next week. Uh, Monday's going to be a huge day as far as confirmations of some of these injury reports go. And then, I mean, I'm going to have to make another table, guys. I, I had to make the injury table last week. It's going to be a lot longer this oh, week. Oh, yeah. Tough to make sense of this. It's it's a it's a pile-up car wreck right now. And you just got to go through and investigate everything now and figure out what happened and you know how you're going to fix it, how you're going to disentangle this whole mess. But the good news for the 49ers, again, is that they have definitely insulated their roster somewhat against it. They can beat teams like the Jets in this disfigured state. They could probably beat teams like the Giants in this disfigured state. And hey, it, that's all that matters right now because you're not playing anybody but the Giants next week. You circle the wagons again after week three and talk about how to beat the Eagles. And then you circle the wagons after week four and talk about how you beat the Dolphins. And you don't even have to talk about the Rams until you get to week six. And by then, it may look a whole lot different. It's just a war of attrition. We actually expected this season to be a war of attrition, maybe not in this way. We thought it'd be more COVID-oriented so far. You know, knock on wood for the 49ers, that hasn't happened yet. But uh, it's just going to be a week-by-week thing, and they're going to have to pull some strings of the practice squad and some signings that we'll definitely track this week. Anyway, uh, make sure you tune in on Wednesday when we have our next show. That's going to be huge. There's just going to be so much happening right now for the 49ers as far as the roster machinations that need to be tracked. They win this time. 49ers beat the Jets. 31 to 13 they lose a ton of guys a ton of important guys and the future remains unwritten so for dennis brown and matt barrows we'll talk to you guys later this week on the here's the catch podcast